Hello and welcome to the Sound Spirit Podcast. We are a community of creative people who are learning and studying and gathering together at the intersection of creativity and madness, spirituality, intellectual thought, neurodiversity, consciousness, all these yummy things. Um, and I am Kate Faust, musician, teacher, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> and today I wanted to come back. Uh, I took a pretty long break. I haven't made an, I actually have made quite a few episodes, but I, they didn't feel right. Um, sometimes when you're in the midst of something, you're just not ready uh, to speak about it yet. And you attempt to articulate your experience and yet it doesn't, it doesn't tell the story you want to tell. And if you, if you have, if you know anything about sound spirit, you know, this is something that I often think and talk about, which is how do we tell our stories? So the first um, story that I'm going to introduce, I guess, in this new season of sound spirit podcast is the story of neurodiversity. I'm just going to give you a brief overview of what it is conceptually. I'm going to talk about how it has impacted my life, how it is a huge part of the sound spirit community and what it means for creative, sensitive people living um, in the 21st century and late stage capitalism. Um, and I'm hoping to do that in a short amount of time. <laughs> we'll see how long it takes. But uh, all of the conversations that we have on this podcast are ongoing. Um, so first of all, I want to talk about the term neurodiversity. And I will link to the Neurocosmopolitanism website by Dr. Nick Walker, who is a autistic professor at CIIS, author, teacher, scholar, um, and uh, just a brilliant um, library of, of work uh, surrounding neurodiversity, activism around neurodiversity and autism and all these different things. So per Nick Walker, neurodiversity is the diversity of human minds, the infinite variation in neurocognitive functioning within our species what it doesn't mean. Neurodiversity is a biological fact. It is not a perspective, approach, belief, political position, or a paradigm. That's the neurodiversity paradigm, which not neurodiversity itself, which we can talk about. Neurodiversity is not a political or social activist movement. That's the neurodiversity movement, but it's not neurodiversity itself. Neurodiversity is not a trait that any individual possesses or can possess. When an individual or a group of individuals diverge from the dominant societal standards of normal neurocognitive functioning, and that normal is in quotation marks, they don't quote unquote have neurodiversity, they are neurodivergent. So you've probably heard some of these terms or you've seen them uh, floating around the internet. They're starting to become more of a buzzword, especially as more neurodivergent people are, are talking about their experiences on TikTok. Um, so you may have heard this word. So hopefully that gives you an idea. Neurodiversity, uh, the neurodiversity paradigm, the neurodiversity movement, a neurodivergent person. Um, an example 
of the word. Our school offers multiple learning strategies to accommodate the neurodiversity is a descriptor of our student body, right? Um, so what is the paradigm of neurodiversity? And um, I'll, I'll provide us some historical background that might help you further understand this, but the neurodiversity paradigm is a specific perspective on neurodiversity. And it's a perspective that boils down to these fundamental principles. Neurodiversity is a natural and valuable form of human diversity. That's number one. Number two, the idea that there is one quote unquote normal or quote unquote healthy type of brain or mind or one quote unquote right style of neurocognitive functioning is a culturally constructed fiction, no more valid and no more conducive to a healthy society or to the overall well-being of humanity than the idea that there is quote unquote one normal or right ethnicity, gender or culture. Three, the societal dynamics that manifest in regard to neurodiversity are similar to the social dynamics that manifest in regard to other forms of human diversity, examples being diversity of ethnicity, gender, or culture. These dynamics include the dynamics of social power inequalities and also the dynamics by which diversity, when embraced, acts as a source of creative potential. Mm-mm-mm. The neurodiversity movement is a social justice movement that seeks civil rights, equality, respect, and full societal inclusion, inclusion for the neurodivergent. A neurodivergent or an ND uh, is, meaning, is meaning that a person is of a mind that functions in a way that diverges, like we were saying, from the fundamental uh quote-unquote normal standards now it's a quite broad term and so uh just to give you an example of like okay well then what is what is the umbrella of people who would be considered neurodivergent um autism and dyslexia are examples of innate forms of neurodivergence um however <laughs> Alterations in brain functioning can be caused by such things as trauma, long-term meditation practice, heavy usage of psychedelic drugs. So these things can also produce neurodivergence through experience. A person whose neurocognitive functioning diverges um, in multiple ways, um, for instance, a person who is autistic, dyslectic, and dyslexic and epileptic can be described as a multiply, multiply neurodivergent. See, I didn't even know that. I love it. So when I think of neurodivergence, um, it's important to also note it's not a synonym. It's not synonymous for autism. It's a large umbrella. Uh, so the things that come to mind for me, first of all, would be um, autism, ADHD. And there's a huge, autism is a spectrum condition. ADHD, also there's some, there's some things associated with that and autism, ADHD tend to, they often can be present. Um, although I myself am autistic, I do not have ADHD. But, and I know people with ADHD who are autistic. I know people who have ADHD that are not autistic. They're just, they just simply have inattentive ADHD. 
Um, now, there's also the way in which traumatic, uh, uh, traumatic brain injuries can change our, our neurocognition. There's also ways in which trauma, the experience of trauma, we know that the experience of trauma actually can change, change the shape of your brain. It can actually cause the amygdala to become larger. And so when the, the brain is, is severely impacted by trauma, whether it's a physical trauma or the experience of trauma, um, that is also, so I would also say people who suffer from complex PTSD or chronic PTSD, people who, who have PTSD, I, I consider them to be neurodivergent. Now, what I'll also say about my own particular experience with being neurodivergent is that many people who are, who experience neurodivergence at, as a, as a, um, a developmental phenomenon, meaning it usually takes, you know, something like autism, it is uh, present usually within the womb. It, it usually is something that occurs when the child is in womb, right? Um, so what, what we also know about and what I personally experience when it comes to neurodivergence is that people who are neurodivergent usually tend to have a more sensitive um, a nervous system. And in, because of that, I think that people who are neurodivergent can be more susceptible to PTSD. And something important that I began to understand about PTSD, this is actually, I will say, my journey with healing from PTSD is what actually finally got me among a couple other things, it's what got me to my autism diagnosis. Because when I was in my early 20s, I suffered a traumatic event that severely impacted me. And it was debilitating. And I had, for for the early part of my 20s, a lot of the stereotypical things that transpire when you when a person has PTSD, such as triggers, flashbacks, uh, panic attacks, things like that. Throughout my early or my later 20s, I was able to come to a really a much better place in terms of being able to feel safe in my body, to be able to move on from the physical trauma that I had felt as well as the psychic and spiritual and emotional aspects of the trauma. But this past year in 2021, something really kind of foundational and elemental came to me. It was, uh, it was that I had come so far in my healing journey and yet I still realized it was like, it was like I surfaced from that deep cavern um, of uh, devastating trauma throughout my 20s. And then now in my early 30s, I sort of started to touch ground and I was like, wait, this ground was always kind of unsteady. This... I never really felt really okay. I was always scared of things. I was always deeply overwhelmed and uncomfortable with things. And that's when I, I got the, the feeling when Sound Spirit, when, we were, when I was teaching the Radical Abundance course, I was like, something's wrong. Like there, there's, my baseline was never really stable. And I, 
I want to understand why. So I started going back to therapy at the beginning of the year. And within a few months of therapy, um, I became aware of, I had an experience where I was cooking breakfast one morning and I was listening to the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett. And she had a guest on, an author, a woman named Catherine May, who had written a beautiful book uh, called Wintering. And when they introduced this author, they mentioned in the intro that she was a late diagnosed autistic at the age of 40. And they just sort of, you know, broadly mentioned it. They did say something about how it was very impactful for her and how when she learned about how autism presents in women, that it was very like kind of like an eye opener her, for her. And then they moved on with the interview. But I did not move on from that statement. I had a full body. I started to uh, like almost have like a stimming sensation. I started to get tears in my eyes. I started to shake. I ran to my computer and I started to research and I looked up autism in women or Asperger's in women and girls and I saw the list of traits and I just became very emotional. I'm getting emotional saying it but not as much as I was the last time I tried to record this. Um, and I wrote down a list, 35 reasons that I believe I'm autistic. I emailed my therapist, who I was going to work with on trauma, who was a specialist on trauma. She said, you know, you don't seem autistic to me, but I'm not an expert. Why don't you try to find someone who is? I found a therapist who specializes in autism, particularly in women and girls. And with, you know, within about a month of our sessions, she was able to confirm that, yes, what I was describing to her of my life experience was something that all the girls on the spectrum she's worked with have described a lot of the suffering the questioning the feeling defective the sensitivities the feeling like something's wrong but not knowing what it is right that's usually sensory sensitivity um the um at walking away from every social interaction wondering you know what did you do wrong um, you know, just not really fully, fully being able to be present in a lot of things because nothing really feels safe or feels good. Everything's overwhelming. Um, and also having the feeling of like knowing that you're immensely gifted and talented and also feeling very inept and being able to make those things actionable in the context of late stage capitalism. This is something that like I think a lot of neurodivergent people experience, again, on a spectrum. So I'm not going to say that my experience of autism is everybody's experience of autism. But um, so really all that was to say, to point to the fact that I actually think that neurodivergent people are particularly uh, susceptible to PTSD. PTSD is not the same as trauma. Trauma is an event uh, or it can be a dynamic, right? It could be a dynamic that's an occurrence, like it could be an abusive relationship, it could be systemic racism um, that is too much too soon that puts you in danger, um, that is demoralizing, feels out of your control, puts you in bodily or spiritual imminent danger or harm, right? The thing to understand about PTSD and that 
by no means is that a um, conclusive def definition, so don't at me. But that's a basic understanding. And so, um, and so, oh, here, actually, this is even better. I took an amazing class called Trauma Triage. Trauma is an overwhelming event or events that render a person with a feeling of helplessness or powerlessness. Traumatization occurs when both internal and external resources are too overwhelmed to cope with the threat. So here's the thing to understand about, um, here's the thing to understand about trauma that I didn't actually understand. And this is, goes to show kind of like my own neurodivergent self. Not everyone who experiences trauma will develop PTSD from that trauma. It's actually only about 20% of people who experience trauma that actually develop PTSD. And the people who are more susceptible to, to developing PTSD from a trauma are people who are, you know, thin boundaried people. Um, so again, neurodiver neurodivergent people fit in that. I would, I would also say that highly sensitive people are, are neurodivergent. I would say, you know, yeah, people with epilepsy, dyslexia, autism, ADHD, um, pervasive developmental disorder. Um, oh God, there's a, there's so many under the umbrella of autism spectrum condition alone. And so, um, that that is kind of uh, there is a huge um correlation between people with ptsd and people who are neurodivergent and my therapist who specializes in trauma was sort of like yeah you know she was doing like sort of a traditional approach with with trauma for me like and then once we realized the autism diagnosis it was sort of like she was like you know there's nothing about your trauma that's not also related to your autism, right? There's, no, there's nothing about trauma for you that is not part of the autism. And, you know, there's, there's nothing that, like, we can't, we can't talk about your <laughs> mental health if, if we can't acknowledge the ways that being neurodivergent is, is affecting you. So now, now I'm going to talk more about autism, what is autism? Again, I'm relying on the amazing resource of neurocosmopolitanism because I, 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 res, I resonate with it so deeply. Um, and it's just wonderful. So I'm just going to give you a like very brief definition. Autism is a genetically based human neurological variant. The complex set of interrelated characteristics that distinguish autistic neurology from non-autistic neurology is not yet fully understood, but current evidence indicates that the central distinctions is that autistic brains are characterized by particularly high levels of synaptic connectivity and responsiveness. This tends to make the autistic individual's subjective experience more intense and chaotic than that of non-autistic individuals. On both the sensory motor and cognitive levels, the autistic mind tends to register more information, and the impact of each bit of information tends to be both stronger and less predictable. 
autism is a developmental phenomenon, meaning that it begins in utero and has a pervasive influence on development in, on multiple levels throughout the lifespan. Autism produces distinctive, atypical ways of thinking, moving, interaction, and sensory and cognitive processing. One analogy that has often been made is that autistic individuals have a different neurological operating system than non-autistic individuals. According to current estimates, somewhere between 1% and 2% of the world's population is autistic. While the number of individuals diagnosed as autistic has increased continually over the past few decades, evidence suggests that this increase in diagnosis is the result of increased public and professional awareness rather than the actual increase in the prevalence of autism. Um, and lastly, I'll just say, despite underlying neurological commonalities, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it here. There's a longer definition that I'll link in the show notes. Autistic individuals are vastly different from one another. Some autistic individuals exhibit exceptional cognitive talents. However, in the context of the society designed around sensory, cognitive, developmental, and social needs of non-autistic individuals, autistic individuals are almost always disabled to some degree, some quite obviously, and sometimes more subtly. So this is what, this is what I wanted to kind of touch on. I wanted to talk about how autism affects me. Um, and then I wanted to just leave you with, um, I shouldn't have already go, gone over the time that I wanted to talk about it. Look at me. Ooh, it's my podcast. I'm gonna go as long as I want. So, um, the way that I experience autism affecting me the most is through uh, sensory sensitivity and overload. So, for me, highly sensitive to smell, light, sound is the biggest one. That's why I'm a musician, probably. <laughs> sound is also one of my biggest sources of stimulation. So, I use music definitely as a form of stimming. And if you guys remember, I wrote, I made an episode in 2020 about. Um, limerence and I was talking about how I was thinking that some of my writing songs was a sort of a way to self-soothe from attachment trauma and now looking back on that recontextualizing that I'm like yeah I think that's true but I also think it was like a way to soothe um, my sensory overwhelm and also to part of how I soothe from you know, sensory overload that's unpleasant and unregulated, meaning it's chaotic, meaning I don't have control over it, is I am a sensory seeker. So I seek sensation that I have control over. I seek sensation through stimming, which is a stimulating, um, usually it's a movement, a body movement. Um, so that for me, that's hand flapping. It's also, uh, I usually have my eyes flicker and I get teary eyed. I always do that when I listen to music. I can't help but stimming when I hear music. Um, and I, I have sensory seeking also in the sense that I like, I need to be engaged usually in multiple things at a time. So I, I can hyper focus, but I, I just need like a lot of sensory sensation and I need a lot of input. 
or else I feel like very chaotic and more susceptible to the environment around me. It's like if I don't have a center of focus, I will get swallowed up by all the sensory intake that's going on around me. Um, another way that autism affects me is that I don't uh, really fully understand social cues all the time. I'm very, very adept at masking and, and mimicking people. But, and, and I've lived, you know, long enough, I'm 32 years old, I've lived long enough that I understand how to get by and I'm able to, I have the privilege that I don't appear autistic to people, but there's nothing about my life that hasn't been impacted by the fact that I don't really understand power dynamics. I don't have the same social motivations and life motivations of neurotypical people, which means that I, I'm less able to put myself into situations that uh, a lot of neurotypical people are in or that a lot of, <laughs> a lot of times we have to kind of be in in this world. Um, it's also one of the like, oh God, I could get into a lot of the negatives of how it's affected me and how it's caused immense suffering in my life and how it has been disabling to me. But I feel like I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of over telling that story. I realize lately as I'm coming back into the world that I keep telling certain stories about my suffering and things that have been hard for me. And I'm sort of like, ugh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's an old habit. I have felt that I've had to explain myself to people. Because people would always look at me and say, you know, I was having part of this is coming from a conversation I had with my friend Mel today who is also neurodivergent and because pe people often look at us neurodivergent people and they're like well but you're so smart and you're so gifted and you're like so present and you're so this like why aren't you more successful and what how could this be difficult for you and no it's a superpower it's not a disability you're amazing. You're this. And it's so, um, it is, a, and, and, and I don't think they understand that when they're asking those questions that it's sort of like we internalize those questions. Um, you know, like you don't think I've been asking myself that same question. <laughs> now I finally have an answer. Um, and it feels really good the reason I've been silent for these several months on the airwaves here is because I have been deeply processing and I have experienced an immense amount of grief, like just, just knocking me over. Um, just so much sadness and regret of how things could have been different if I had just known, um, you know, um, how much I've punished myself and how how I internalized other people's how they interpreted me and, and and because I didn't have my own context I submitted to their context and in doing so I learned to gaslight myself and my experience um, because I couldn't understand why my experience was so different than theirs I really didn't understand that I am fundamentally having a different experience. So rather than go into all the struggles of what it's like being, having been autistic for all of my life and not known that I'm autistic, I would like to talk about the uh, incredible gifts that I feel that 
uh, this, what is labeled a disability in this society, what it offers me. And um, I read the book Autism and the God Connection um, and, and I recommend that, but I really do feel like being autistic and deeply sensitive and open in the way that I am, that's part of why I'm able to write songs. I've been writing songs since I was a little kid. I never had to really try. You know, I just would sit down. I still, same thing. I never, I, I am always able to be so deeply in touch with my own creativity and with, in the same way that environments can really drain me, the right environments can just resource me. I can just be so fed and so sensitized and so deeply um, connected. And I also am able to do that with people, just really deeply connected, really deeply um, loving and, and just vibing with people. I think my relationships are just so amazing and they're so deep and they're so nourishing. And part of it's because I go there and I attract people to me that can go there. And it's just such a joy. It's such a joy. Um, and being an adult, yeah, I have the freedom to say, you know, I, yeah, I'm not like a lot of other people, but there are, there are other people like me. Um, I would also say like part of, part of like what I'm even doing here right now, I am sort of like a, sometimes I just do things. I just build things. I just make things. No one asked me to. I get so intensely hyper-focused on my special special interests and I just, I learn. I, I, I immerse. I get into the universe of something, whether it's a person that I love, a, um, a topic I'm interested in, um, an experience that I'm enjoying, a book, a piece of art, um, whether it's my own spiritual practice and rituals with myself, witchcraft, connecting to my ancestors, like all of it. I just feel like there is such a, a blessing. And, you know, I was recently on a mushroom journey and um, they were, the, 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 the spirits of the plants were talking to me about how like, they were like, basically they were telling me like, that my autism is like a cheat code, essentially. It's basically like, you're not programmable the way some people are. You're not easily, like you, like you have been kept out of the, the game for a reason. You, you know what I mean? Like you are not supposed to operate from that place. Um, and, they said something really that resonated, which is like, you are not supposed to belong. You create belonging for others. And, and just, and by doing that, that's what belonging becomes for you. And I, and I know a lot of people who would listen to this podcast resonate with that as well. And so, I don't know. I just feel like I, I, want the the term neurodiversity to become more normalized particularly in spiritual circles because what I actually see is there's like a lot of neurodivergence going around but because we use and I've spoken about this on this podcast before because we use some of these terms these spiritual terms which I love I love all the woo-woo shit don't get me wrong but 
what I what I notice happening is that because we do that, it it obscures the neurobiological context for what we're experiencing. And that's not to say it's all in your head. That's to say um, your head is all up in it. You are actually like a uh, receptor for more information, more of what's going on here. And um, again, I think a lot of people like myself included come to the spiritual path because we feel like we are broken. We feel like we need healing. And we were wondering why have, why have things been so hard for me? Why? I mean, that's a, I think if I could, if I could sum up my experience of being neurodivergent and like a very, very, very basic level is realizing that the things that are easy for most people are hard for me. And the things that are hard for most people are like very easy and elemental for me. <laughs> um, right now I'm reading the book Neuro Tribes by Steve Silberman. And I also just got the book Capitalism and Disability. And when you learn about the history of autism research in the United States and Europe, so in the West, there is just, there's nothing about the history of autism research that is not touched upon by the history of eugenics. Um, you know, I was sort of really angry when I got my late diagnosis. I was like, it's 2021. Like, you, why wouldn't you think that people know by now that blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as I started reading Neurotribes, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Not very long ago, <laughs> you know, someone like me would have been, you know, well, actually, let's talk about this. I have to talk about this. I was talking about this with my my friend Mel today. And... um this is something that I want to come back to again. And this is something that I'll end the podcast on. And this maybe gives you a sense of like what this, what this, uh, what the hit, the history of eugenics and then the ensuing ableism that comes from that, what the impact that that has on the, the discourse around autism. Okay. So I I'm aware that a lot of people in my life who love me worry about me. They worry about me in the context of global capitalism. I remember being told when I was in my early 20s, you know, well, when somebody realized, you know, that I was failing to make a certain amount of money and they said, well, you know, you're pretty, you could marry a lawyer or a doctor. I mean, my, my dad would say, you know, marry a lawyer or a doctor so I don't have to worry about you anymore. I had a therapist say to me who, you know, specializes in working with autistic women. When I was saying, you know, one of the big ways that autism affects me is that if I, I struggle with certain kinds of work environments, um, and she was like, well, a lot of, a lot of her female adult autistic clients have wealthy families or they are taken care of by their husbands. And she made a joke like flippantly, like, oh, I wish you could just win the lottery. And, um, yeah, I was talking about this with my friend Mel today and I got, I started to cry. I got really, really mad. 
Um, it's really fucking infuriating when people who love you, people who are looking out for you, right? They think they're really looking out for you are saying essentially when they say these things like, well, go find a, a, a wealthy man or maybe you'll win the lottery or they're saying you're someone that I guess you're someone that needs to be taken care of. You're someone that I don't want to invest uh, time or resources into investigating how th- I don't want to actually have to think about how things could actually work for you or what a world could look like that's workable for you. I just want to pawn you off to whoever I would like to. And this is literally like this is what people would do to neurodivergent and mentally ill people is they would just shut them away somewhere. Um, and this is like. Again, someone saying to me, you know, oh, you're pretty, marry a rich guy. It's not the same thing as as sending me to an institution. But this, the underlying sentiment of even though you're the person that's in front of me, I would rather um, kind of pawn you off. At, you are You are now a burden because you have needs that aren't answerable immediately in the the quote-unquote normative routes of of neoliberal capitalism so so actually like now i have to worry about you and you're a burden to me you're not worth giving job training to or investing in or receiving benefits or you know going back to school or or you know being an entrepreneur you know just just marry a wealthy man you know you're pretty enough you're nice Oh, I hope you win the lottery. And that's what a therapist who works with neurodivergent women has to say. It's really, it's, it's, it's very, it's just like, for me, every time it happens, I'm like, wow, like really, really, literally nobody has a suggestion for me. Nobody has something I can read, somewhere I can turn to. Nobody has a resource of somebody else who's done it that I can go to. Nothing? There's nothing. Really? It's, that is really, and, and, and I'm a person who's considered on the ableist, you know, linear track, quote unquote, high functioning. You know, people who, who have, who need assistant in, assistance in their day-to-day life on the spectrum, they age out of the system. It's like once they stop being a neurotypical person's child, then, okay, we don't need to help the autistic person. We need to help the autistic, the the neurotypical parent of the autistic person, you know? And it's just, it's really fucked up. There's a lot I could say about it, but what I realized and when I'm no longer, I still feel anger and pain about it, but actually it's now becoming this this thing where I'm like, you know, okay, I'm at a really exciting time to find more people like me who are doing it. Um, I'll put a resource of a square peg podcast, um, Amy Richards, who inter- interviews, uh, she's an autistic woman who interviews neurodivergent and autistic women and uh, trans and non-binary people along the spectrum. Um, she's the one who inspired me to start working as a virtual assistant. 
because I find, I realize, you know, I'm not actually, I'm actually very skilled. I just can't be in certain environments and do well. I need just, I just need certain accommodations. That's what we need. That's what neurodivergent people need. And the irony is that the accommodations that we need are the accommodations that would help neurotypical people because y'all are dying of fucking stress and heart attacks and y'all are like overworked and unhappy. The kind of environments that would bring us to the table. And again, I'm not the Steve Jobs autism person. All right. I'm not the fucking Elon Musk Asperger syndrome. Those are the, those are the, those are the ones who get to be the evil geniuses. I'm not that. Okay. I'm the one that you look at and say, well, I don't know how you're going to do life. Maybe find someone, maybe win the lottery or find someone, find a rich guy to pawn you off on. Fuck that. No, no. The task is for the goal is for autistic girls 10, 25 years from now for them to be able to point to someone like me or someone in my cohort and say, look what they did. You can do that. And here are your list of resources. Here's your uh, fund for job training. Because actually you're very talented in certain specialized areas, but you just may not have access to the training. You may not have access to the environments in which you can succeed, you know, um, or here's assistance or here's whatever the fuck it is. I don't give a shit. I don't aspire to work. I don't aspire to fucking labor, but I aspire to be able to live a beautiful, enjoyable, neurodivergent life. And I aspire to rain that gift and that uh, joy and that abundance down on everyone around me, particularly neurodivergent people. And I will do it. And y'all are invited along. So yeah, I will see you there. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sound Spirit Podcast. I hope that this was informational for you, educational. And um, yeah, um, I don't live to be a content machine. So I can't guarantee that I'll be like cranking them out all the time like I was before. But I will try. Because I do really enjoy this and I have gotten some feedback from you guys that makes me feel like, okay, at least it's landing somewhere and people are receiving it. So if you like the podcast, remember to like, subscribe, check out uh, thesoundspirit.com, my Patreon offerings, and many blessings to you. Bye.